0: Welcome to the 4 for Friday podcast. I'm Will Rob, he's Michael Gertley. Our guest today is Steve Galante. Michael, would you like to walk everybody through the format?
1: Yes, I would love to walk everybody through the format. It's gonna be an extra punchy episode because we're recording 24 hours late. Thank you, thank you both of you for rescheduling. I had a really busy week. So, uh, but I'm excited to do this at 5.30 on a Friday. It should be awesome. Our format is the way it always is. Uh, We go through four topics phrased as questions. Uh, Two appetizers and two entrees and uh, we get in and out in 30 minutes just like nature intended Uh, And we also reached a big milestone this week Will we've averaging over 70 people listening to this so and I can now attest that you know more than less than 3% are our moms So we're doing great.
0: Okay, well good. So Steve Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we get going? Sure, sure (laughs) Uh, I live out in uh, Denver, Colorado
2: and um i have uh, a mechanical engineering background and uh but i've always been more of an entrepreneur and so uh uh finally in uh, 2016 i well earlier than that i started designing a a product of mine idea that i came up with and that was back in 2010 and then um 2016 i finally uh Went all all the way in and 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 decided to make it and bring it to market, and um, and then uh, uh, there's the ins and outs of of the entrepreneurship, and uh, I can tell you about. But it's it's been quite the roller coaster ride. Let's put it that way.
0: Okay, good. Well, we like to talk about entrepreneurship on this on this podcast and some of the challenges of uh, lumpy lumpy cash flows uh michael you have the first question today you want to fire it off
1: yeah yeah okay let's talk about this all right what is the best all-around shoe so like footwear and are we talking about men's shoes or women's shoes are we limited limiting it to men's shoes because i don't think we know shit about women's shoes
0: well i think we'll just field the question from our own perspective
1: <laughs> okay Okay. 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 Good.
0: And there's no one right answer on this. If if there's somebody who has a different perspective for their own reasons, that's okay. For me, I go with a, a low top hiking boot as my best overall shoe hmm. uh, because it's comfortable like a sneaker. Uh, if I get it in Brown or black, it looks almost formal enough to be business casual, at least in Denver it does. Yeah. That's a
1: very Rocky Mountain answer. Like, I think that is the most Denver answer possible.
0: What's your call, Michael? I,
1: nobody needs hiking boots in South Texas. I don't know.
0: Well, that's why I go with the low top.
1: Oh, the, nobody needs the low top hiking boots. Where are we going to go hike? Down to the, the down, down to the mall? Like, it doesn't happen here. It's so flat. Um, look, I think a nice black pair of uh, Adidas or, or Nike cross trainers totally uh totally works like i
2: okay
1: i wear them every day what, what do you think steve
2: i'm, I'm a, a big fan of the chacos I, I like the sandal you know assuming the weather's good um it's all about being free <laughs> not have to wear socks or anything like that um so yeah i like the chaco sandals
0: now if the weather's bad would you wear them with socks
2: no, no, I don't go there. Uh, yeah, I've done it around campsites, but that's about as far as I go. Um, no, I mean, you know, probably just wear an inexpensive running shoe if I was just going to, you know,
1: round town, um, that kind of thing. Good. Something whabbers. comfortable. I'm glad that none of the three of us said a you know six inch pair of stiletto heels or anything like that. so well, well done by you guys we're we're Probably playing middle wingtips. of the road. Maybe we'll get Add we'll get tips. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll get some I weirder heal, guests in the future. So far, straight middle of the road vanilla for us. Uh, yeah, look i i I think it totally plays to what I think is a very healthy and natural evolution of our society right which is you go look at how people used to dress even as late as the 50s like they were so formal right and i feel like that all peaked right around the time that jfk decided you know he didn't want to wear a hat for his inauguration and we've been going straight down to wearing you know track suits and and sweatpants to formal meetings now um the number of big time business meetings I've been to with people wearing raggedy t-shirts recently is unbelievable. And maybe that's a tech thing, but I I think it's all good. And, and I'm glad we're, we're taking this trajectory as a species. Yeah.
0: Okay. Form over function on or function over form on that. That's what we're choosing.
1: I believe it. And, and look, the other thing I, I want to dress fancy and nice, but I'm in South Texas and nothing is comfortable except for a pair of shorts. Like it's, it's so painful. So painful. It's funny. All right, you're going to move on to our next question. Will, it is for you.
0: Yes, our next question is What is it like to be an inventor? And this is kind of a Steve focused question. Sure.
2: Um, you know, it's funny. It's like the Matrix, you know, where, where he's like, you know, he's been going crazy his entire life because there's something out there he can't put his, his finger on. I, I'm always drawn. trying to make my own product and and it's it's been this constant it's it's been like 20 25 years now and and i i just had to bring something to market and um whether i win or lose i i just had to do it and so uh it's kind of like your baby in a way and you're 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 trying to figure out how you know you can you can Make a difference in people's lives through your invention, you know your your creativity. I guess is, and so uh, yeah, I um, uh, the, yeah, it's definitely a roller coaster ride. You know, I thought the hardest part was bring, making the product and getting it to work. That is the easiest part, actually. Uh, it's actually getting the product to work and the engineering side. The harder part is actually getting it to market and selling it. Uh, that's the, the that's the thing I found and. And and actually, budgeting enough money for the marketing part is the part that I think is is so critical. And and to be honest, I didn't I didn't do it. Um, and so I did a lot of catch up uh, in that portion.
0: Do you want to tell us what it is? And
2: Did you sure. invent anything else besides the big squeeze? Uh, no, no, I've i got some other ideas actually rattling around in my brain. But um, now the big squeeze is a ergonomic tube squeezer. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a reintroduction of an older product, uh, called the tube ringer. It's been around since the seventies. And that one, um, uh, my dad actually is a dentist and he used it in his dental office for composite material. It's a, it's kind of an antiquated gear, geared, uh, product that you put the tube through the set of two long gears and, um, and it just pinches the tube from the bottom up and pushing everything forward. Uh, people complained in his dental office that his, his employees, that it was awkward to use it uncomfortable. And, and I, we had one in our household and so I was just accustomed to using it. And so I ended up buying one after college and when my roommates saw it, they, they just thought it was the coolest thing ever, but I, I didn't like the ergonomics. I didn't like the way the spent tube hits your hand. So I, I wanted to change the ergonomics so it functioned like a can opener. Everybody's got a can opener. They know how to use it, and so I, I modified the the uh, overall design to function more um, more ergonomically. I mean, just make it easier for people, and uh, and that's where it kind of took off.
0: So, so it's, yeah, it's, I've seen I've seen the product, and it is the kind of thing where anybody could understand how to look to use it just by looking at it. So what
1: you know, one of the things that always fascinates me with like there's there's this inventor personality, which feels different than an entrepreneur personality. And the inventor personality, like I hear folks like in, in your situation talk, and it fascinates me that you are just so passionate about bringing a thing to life. And when you talk about it, you talk about doing it for other people. Like, could you elaborate on that? Like, it's it's so interesting to me because I feel like entrepreneurs are more there because they want to build a great business. And actually inventors feel like they're, after something else, like how do you think about that?
2: I mean, yeah, I, for, for me it was um, I'm frugal by nature, and I hate to waste stuff. and and specifically on this product, it was all about, you know, you buy something and you want to get everything you paid for. And so that was what drove me, um, you know, it, it just aligned with my my principles or morals, you might say. And and wanted to bring that product to life um, because there's so many tubes out in the in the market. Um, you, you do the math, there's like, you know, billions of tubes, you know, in the US alone. And people are wasting anywhere from 10, 15, 20% on every tube. So yeah. you think about the the quantity of product out there that just goes thrown in the garbage can. Um, and you know, I, I always get pushed back. people are like, you know, you can cut open the tube. You can I'm like, yeah, you can cut open the tube. How many people want a bunch of messy, you know, either art paint or toothpaste or whatever around uh, uh, getting everywhere? So I, I wanted something that was simple, easy to use, and, and, you know, make a difference. But as far as an inventor versus entrepreneur, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the first step is the, the inventor. Um, you got to come up with the idea and the product, and then it turns into the entrepreneurship side you know, where you're trying to figure out how to monetize it. Um, You know, I don't know if I did a good job in the beginning of of figuring out whether what people would be willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I definitely didn't, didn't understand the costing on that. And if I did do it again, I probably would have tried to bring the price point down. Um, And I still am working towards that, but, you know, I also wanted to make it in the the U S and that was important to me. And, um, and of course that causes costs to be higher, but, um, yeah, maybe yeah, it's, a, maybe,
1: it's a, maybe it's almost, a, what I'm hearing from you is almost, it's almost an order of operations, right? Inventors, inventors think about bringing the thing to life and then you then marketing and go to market was almost secondary. And maybe, yeah. maybe entrepreneurs look at it the other way, which is, you know, bringing, bringing some business to life, you know, and then, and then the thing is secondary. I don't know. It's very, it's, yeah, I very, mean, it's very interesting.
2: I, I think you're, you definitely hit it. it second go around, it, you know, if I were to come up with another product, I would think more like an entrepreneur first go around. I think you stumble in as an inventor and then you scramble, trying to figure out how do I become an entrepreneur? You know, how do I actually make money on this? Um, that's the part that, um, I would agree. Most inventors don't think about the money side. I went to an inventor meeting that I've been to here and there. And this one guy's got 20 patents on, you know, has he, has he made any of the products? No. I mean, I think he just likes the idea of having a novel idea that nobody else has thought about. Right. So there's that side of inventors where they really, that's not their main goal is to bring it to market. Um, you know, that, that was, of course, was my goal, you know, after, after figuring out how to make it. But um, it, it just kind of drives you crazy in a sense because you uh, you can't stop until you bring it to market. Uh, you, you can't, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: it's a thing that comes up ironically on this podcast, that the idea with, with different motivations or different priorities from kind of straight business or, or profit mag- maximizing. We talked about. Elon Musk, and what motivates him, and why does he put out such strange tweets a while ago? Uh, and it was one of, one of my assertions that, really, he's a lot more focused on solving engineering problems than he is on making the most profitable question, uh, company ever. Right. So it kind of goes back to that theme that we've talked about before.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the, uh, yeah, I would love to help a lot of people, you know? I mean, in the end of the day, that's the goal. Um, people struggle with all kinds of tube products, and uh, I just wanted to figure out a way to, to make it easier.
1: Yeah you know It's almost like the inventor says the world needs this thing and the entrepreneur says the world needs this business. And uh, right. Yeah. And they're, they're not distinct, right? because you said that every inventor, if they want their product to be used has to become an entrepreneur. So, yeah, they' scrambling
2: cool. trying to figure out the entrepreneur side.
1: Yeah, super cool.
0: Do you want to do you want to give us a quick sales pitch on five or six different little niche uses for the Big Squeeze? What type sure, of product sure. um, might
1: be the biggest uh,
2: uh, market right now are artists by far, uh, because the oil paints and acrylic paints are so expensive. Uh, hair salons—they uh, use a ton of hair dye, and uh, the the trick there is the salon is normally paying for the hair dye, uh, uh, so it's really the salon owner. Um, not necessarily the the stylist, but, um, other, other, you know, pharmaceuticals, I have a a compound pharmacy companies that, uh, they squeeze out hundreds of tubes a day to remix. And they use, uh, this one company uses uh, the big squeeze three hours a day, every day. Uh, they just keep using it. Um, uh, you know, cosmetics and sunscreen is a big one because the, the, the cost is so high. And, um, you know, toothpaste. Uh, if you have one, you're going to use it on toothpaste. Uh, most people aren't going to buy one because just because the price point. Uh, but if they do have it, they'll use it. Food items. I, I know people that you know, tomato paste and anchovy paste are pretty much the only things that really come in tubes. But um, in the kitchen, but you know, it works both on metal and plastic tubes. So that's a uh, um, and you know, you only need one for your household. So that's, that's the draw. Uh, you can use it on, on everything.
0: Yeah, I have not thought of that. Is it good both for kind of maximizing the amount that you get out of the tube, but could you also get kind of a more measured dose or, or quantity like one spin is one teaspoon kind of thinking. Yeah,
2: yeah I, I kind of looked into that at first um, because there are some uh, ointments that are very specific uh, on that. You know, the hard part is the, the size of the tube uh how how wide it is changes that calculation the second you throw in a different width so i haven't uh really gone down that path to, to measuring it um uh nobody's really brought that up in, in quite a while so i kind of let that go
0: it's very hard for you to know how people will use it exactly
2: yeah i mean i i just got a, a review a five-star review on amazon somebody used it for some sort of cement caulk of some sort, um, I'm not quite sure what it was, but he said it saved the day. Um, so, uh, you know, there's all kinds of applications out there that people are using it for, that I, I hadn't even thought about. But, uh, um, you know, it, it really comes down to, um, you know, the expense of the item in the tube, you know, the higher the dollar cost, people are, are more, uh, you know, inclined to get everything out. And so they're gonna start searching for, for, for everything. And, uh, something, something to do that. Of course, and there's there's products out there. I'm not the only tube squeezer, but my goal was to make the highest quality one, with the best ergonomics. Um, you know, it comes with a lifetime warranty. Any issues, you know, you send me a picture of something broken. I'm just going to send you a new one. Um, yeah. You know, it's it, the goal is for it to last for life. And so, um, you know, any issues, and I'll, and I'll I'll back it.
1: Great. Let's let's okay. move on to question number three uh, which comes from me. Uh, so Zillow reports big demand and big changes to the single family home market. What changes will stick after 2020? So right. will you put this question in what, what are the big changes?
0: Well, so the CEO of Zillow is a guy named Rich Barton and he got some press this week for talking about the great res- reshuffle is what he called it. And he mm. just thinks that, uh, COVID situation has changed everybody's housing plans. Everybody wants a, a better home office or they're moving from the city to the suburbs or they're doing something different. And it's caused incredible demand on single family homes. And, you know, Zillow obviously has access to understanding what that data is as well as anybody does. So it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic that he was discussing. And, and I just think 2020 is kind of a year for these Broad prognostications, and a lot of times, like we make these guesses, and then we find out, well, we were wrong three months later. Because back in March, I would have thought, you know, hey, we've got a big recession coming. We've got all this financial crush. Uh, banks are going to tighten up. People are going to tighten up. So the making the leap to buy a big asset like a house, it's going to be hard to get a loan, and it's going to feel riskier. So that's going to be bad for home prices. Right. But actually, the opposite has happened. So you know, the the broad prognostication that I was thinking back into March or April went the opposite direction. Uh, And so now I'm looking at what he's saying about what the world looks like in September, and I'm just wondering, you know, by you know March 2021, are we still all going to be scrambling to remodel our home office, or are we going to try to go back to life as usual? Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, it does seem like you can't go wrong. Making a prediction and then assume and then then inverting it, right? Because twenty twenty has basically been the year of everything being totally wrong. So, I would wow. not have predicted the stock market would have gone on a huge rally for the past three months. I would have not have predicted all this kind of stuff happening. So, uh, tell me what you think, and then I'll tell you that the, exactly the opposite is going to happen. Will?
2: <laughs> well, Steve, do you want to sound? Yeah, in? I mean, as far as real estate goes, I, I really think that um, you know those. Two two or three months when when people were not buying has kind of offset the year, where normally you would have a, a slowdown uh, in in the holiday season in the January. I think that's gonna. Um, I don't think that's gonna happen this year. I think it's gonna uh, be strong. For you know, might be a small, a much smaller dip over the holidays, but it's gonna be a strong. Um, uh, buying and selling through the holidays and into January because there's this pent up demand where people are sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what happened. And like you said, people are moving to uh, the suburbs. In fact, New York City uh, is, is going, so many people are moving out of the city that people are offering or landlords are offering first month rent free in, in the city because they can't rent out these apartments so um, there's a mass exodus out of of certain cities at least into the suburbs like you're saying because they want more room they can telecommute more companies are realizing that they it's not an issue and so even though people are going to be going back to work i think it's going to be more acceptable one one to two days a week to work from home you know i think that's going to be a common practice
1: yeah what is interesting to to think about Trends and whatnot, Will and and Steve. You know, past two weeks I've gone back to working at the office. Like I was just so sick of working at home. And a lot of times when I see stuff like that happening, I'm like, oh, okay. Like this is just this is just the beginning of other people, a lot of other people doing this. By the way, I also went and bought two bicycles in March, right at the beginning of COVID, before everybody else and their mom decided to buy one too. So, you know, I think I think what's interesting is the snapback from a lot of this stuff is going to be so huge. Like I would love to own a Vegas casino sometime early next year, right? Just as people start to feel like they can go back there safely. And I think the same thing will happen to these pieces of real estate, right? Like kids are gonna flood back into into the cities. So I think all that's temporary. If you can get a multi-year lease with that free rent, Will, now's the time.
0: Yeah, well, I kind of think that we're, a few of the things we're going through now will, will stick for at least a few years. I think I think everybody will tend to consume more more house than they would have before two thousand twenty. They want a little more space for their home office. They want a little more space for a playroom for their kids because they're spending a lot more time at home with their mm-hmm. kids. Um, and then, yeah, young people. I, I think probably a, a lot of young people who are working in bars and restaurants are are you know home living in their their boomer parents' house right now. Uh, but I think that, like you think, I think that part will snap back, where people will flock back to the, the cities for the cosmopolitan life and the atmosphere and the job opportunities, and just that, that kind of rite of passage of like going out and living and renting an apartment. I think that does snap back in a couple of years. The other thing that I think might last is like a preference for, exterior walk-up, apartments or townhomes. and a preference for single-family homes over apartments. But I'm not sure how long we'll care about that. I think by the middle of next year, we might be desensitized to new cases of COVID.
2: Yeah, I, I think people are just getting tired of it. I mean, it seems like more and more people are going back to, you know, stores and businesses where before they wouldn't even consider it. And, you know, I think you're just working around it maybe it's the mask making people feel safer, but it's just gonna be, I think it's just more and more people are gonna be going, going to restaurants, going to other things, and and the economy is gonna start really picking up.
0: Yeah, for what it's worth, I went back to the office weeks ago uh, because I'm self-employed and I have uh, one little office that I rent, it's like an eight by 10 office with one door and one window. So it's not like I go in and I hang out with my coworkers and we share each other's germs and breath and so on. It's like I walk through a short hallway and I go straight into the office and close the door and it's no big deal. Um, But yeah, that, that sense of, oh, yeah, we've got to change this up. We're spending all of our time in this one house. I think it's getting to a lot of people right now. It
1: sucks. All right, let's move on to the fourth question. Will, it is over to you.
0: Is it a good idea to bring a snowboard to the sand dunes? You can bring it,
2: but just don't ride it.
1: Uh, what, what happens if you ride a snowboard in sand dunes, Steve? Uh, well, I
2: can tell you from experience that uh, I didn't ride it as in like stand on it. And thank God I didn't, because then I probably wouldn't be walking these days. <laughs> <laughs> I sat on it and used it like a sled and... Uh, after about a second or two, realized I was going so fast, I couldn't even use my legs to slow me down because uh, I tried that and it, it yanked my leg back so fast, I thought I was going to rip my knee. So I, uh, I rode it out. And um, at the bottom of the hill, you know, where the beach, like a sandy beach, it gets these ripples. Well, I started hitting those ripples and it was like the, the frequency started increasing to the point where it just tossed me and I don't know how fast I was going. I was probably going 30, 40 miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and I rolled out. I don't know, Willie, you saw it. A couple of dozen. I
0: times. was there that day. That's why I brought this question up, because I think it's a great story. I rolled out. I'm going I'm to add some some layers. Yeah, I rolled
2: out probably, I don't know, half a dozen times. And, and the ironic thing was the only injury I had were two little marks on the top of my eyebrow where I guess my face had just nicked the sand, and I had little blood spots, you know, right there, bleeding there, and that was it, and I walked away. Uh, un- yeah, you looked okay. But rattled,
0: needless to say. <laughs> you, you did look a bit rattled. So this happened a, a long time ago when we were all in our 20s, and, and uh, for our listeners who don't know, Steve has a twin brother, Dave, and both Dave and Steve were there, and I don't remember whose idea it was to bring snowboards, okay. but I think there were two of them. <laughs> Uh, none of us were particularly good snowboarders and the standards aren't very steep. So we did try standing on the boards and it did, like it was hard to get any momentum and then it felt terrifying like a second later. So you'd like faceplant right away if you tried standing on them. Uh, and so the using the snowboard like a toboggan technique was what we settled on. And uh, Michael, you've got two boys in the house. Are you are your sons competitive with each other? Not really. <laughs> Not really? Oh, Steve, would you say that you and Dave are sometimes competitive with each other? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're a little competitive on this day because there were several rounds of, of sledding toboggan style until both you and Dave hiked up the biggest dune that you could find together for one last run. And you were going down parallel next to each other. and It was like a game of chicken as to who was gonna bail first. Oh, I don't remember that at all. And I think Dave bailed first, but you continued to pick up speed until it was clear that you were out of control. And you did like topple over the ruts. It was almost like uh, if you've driven on a dirt road that has too much rain on it, where you get those that washboard pattern of ruts. You hit some of that, and it threw you and you probably rolled Five, six, ten times—I don't know. It seemed like a lot. Uh, afterwards, we went to like a gift shop concession stand, and you purchased a chipwich. Do you remember any of this? No, I'm, I'm kind of. You purchased a chipwich, and you're eating it. And you had, you know, like you said, sand all over your face, and maybe you know a scratch here or two that was like bleeding mildly. But you looked kind of pale, and you looked at me while eating your chipwich with dead seriousness, and you said. This is the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. I can sense everything right now. I'm so happy to be alive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I probably was pretty happy because uh, I could have easily killed
1: myself. Wow.
0: Okay, so was the was short amazing. answer
1: is definitely not. Do not do that. No. Okay.
0: Not, not a Okay.
1: <laughs> On that note, I think we're out of time. And uh, it has been wonderful to get to know you, Steve. You did a great job today. Uh, Thanks for being here.
2: Yeah, that was great.
1: That was fun. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week. Thanks a
0: lot. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Michael. You will. See you, Michael.